Sam Harris has been fishing, writing and broadcasting since way back when, interviewing probably thousands of people in the process. Today, however, the tables have turned, with me asking the questions via a telephone link and Sam in the studio reacting to them. Should be interesting. OK, Phil, we are now live. Well, under the recorder anyway. Right, OK. OK, so the first question I was going to ask you was, how and when you got into fishing, right back to the year dot? <laughs> it just about was, actually. I think I was about six. Uh, my mother was uh, cook on a big estate up in Scotland. 1940, uh, 1939, right at the beginning of the war. And um, there were no men on the estate. They were all in the army. And the school I went to was about two and a half mile away. Consequently, I didn't have any friends because they all lived too far away. And the classroom that I was in, there were different ages from five up to goodness knows what. One teacher, one class, and that was your lot. And I used to spend days just throwing stones into the River Urn which ran through the estate. And one day this old guy came along and started talking to me and he said, do you like fishing, son? And I didn't even know what he was talking about. And uh, so I told him and he said, well, I'll show you how to fish, son. So the next day he came down with a load of rods and reels, fly rods and reels, and he had me fly casting and I caught a fish. And of course, that was it. Literally, I was hooked for life. That was about six years of age. And uh, I've enjoyed it ever since. It's, uh, it's been good to me, fishing. So presumably that would have been either a, a trout or something. Yeah, way. it was a trout. Yeah, it was a trout. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I went on to actually catch sea trout and salmon. So I was quite proud of myself. But we didn't go short of fish during the war. <laughs> <laughs> he also showed me how to put lime in the water. And uh, when you put lime into, the, into a stream or a river, it takes the oxygen out of the water. And the fish just float to the surface because they can't breathe. They're only like that for a All couple right. of minutes, and then they recover and go away. Yep. But in that couple of minutes, you run up and down the bank with a, a bucket, putting the you know the fish into the bucket. Then you've got a load of fish just for the sake of putting a few uh, handfuls of lime into the water. You're not supposed to All do right. that, though, right. you know. Poacher turned gamekeeper, eh? Yeah. Oh, yes. Turned out um, that he was the local poacher. And there's very little he, he, you know, he knew everything about that river, where the fish would lie and how to catch them. And he even taught me how to tickle trout, which I, I doubt if I could do it now. <laughs> Not at my age, anyway. But uh, fascinating <laughs> man, really fascinating man to talk to. So presumably when you was fishing on the estate, though, that was in land, obviously, yeah. now somehow you ended up uh, and on the coast. So how did that come mm. about? Yeah, well, the estate was just outside Perth, a little village called Bridge of Earn. A very famous person lives in that house now, but I'm not going to mention any names. And uh, from there, uh, towards the end of the war, I think it was about 1943, my mother said she'd had enough and uh, running this big house on her own because the family actually lived in London and we only saw them for about three months of the year so the other nine months of the year it was our house and there was maids there and goodness knows what and a couple of old gardeners and my mother had had enough of sort of living in the wilderness so we moved back down to uh, Newcastle and then she got a house at Tynemouth which literally <laughs> the house is about 100 yards from the sea you know and um in those days, there used to be barbed wire right away along the seafront and great big signs up saying mines keep out. We knew there weren't any mines there. And we used to crawl through the barbed wire to get down into uh, the rocks at time of King Edward's Bay, Sharpness Point, and 
colour codes, places like that. And uh, that was where I started the sea fishing side of things. And in those days, it wasn't a case of, you know, hopefully we will catch a fish. We knew we were going to catch a fish. It was a case of how many shall we take? You know, because there was no trawling going yeah. on. So, yeah, that was that was paradise for an angler, that, a sea angler. I suppose that that went on for, for quite a while after the war because the fisheries would have recovered until the commercial fishing started up again when the war had finished. That's right. I mean, I got to know this. these two. Um, they were brothers, actually, lived in Tymouth. One was called Ledger Brown, and Ledger was a very, very good, keen shore angler. He taught me a heck of a lot. And his brother was Norman, Norman Brown, and he had, a, it was a 12 or a 13-foot wooden boat with a little one-and-a-half-hole seagull on the back. And he used to take me out uh, boat fishing with him, so I learned quite a lot from him. So those two brothers were a big, big influence on my sea angling side of things. And since then, I've been lucky. I've fished in most parts of the world. I've been in the Arctic Circle twice. I've been both sides of America. I've been all over Europe. I've been Africa. Um, no, it's, it's, I enjoy what I do. Still fishing, even at my age. So what was the early progression through? You've gone through your influences there, those two lads were your influences. If you had any other influences, and how did you, you progress through? What triggered you to certain certain levels and onto the next level and so on? Well, I'd just been an ordinary angler, you know, just another one of the, the boys sort of thing. And I was fishing at Blythe one day into the river with a pal of mine, and this guy came along and he had all these cameras hanging around his neck. <laughs> I thought, oh, yeah. <laughs> and he came up and we got on talking, and it, it, it turned around and he says, I'm a photographer and reporter for the Angling Times. Do you mind if I take some photographs? I said, yeah, no, not at all, you know. So he took some photographs because we had one or two fish, and he said, have you ever written um, anything on fishing? I said, no, I haven't got a clue. I wouldn't know where to start. He said, well, we're looking for somebody in the northeast that can give us a weekly report of what's being caught and so on and so on. Would you be interested? I said, well, I'll give it a try and see what happens. So I started, and I was there with the Angling Times for quite some years, sending weekly reports in, what's been caught and who buy and all this sort of thing. And uh, I was a, a long-distance lorry driver at the time, as it happened, drove these 32-ton-hour ticks. And a friend of mine was head chef at a big department store in Newcastle. And he said, oh, you know, the, the department store's thinking of starting a fishing uh, an angling shop within the store. And uh, I've mentioned you to the boss. He said, would you go and have a word with him? So anyway, I went in and had a word with the managing director. And he said, yeah, we're, we're planning to do this. And would you be able to come in on a Saturday and give us a bit of advice as to what to buy and, you know, to sell in the shop and all this. And I said, yeah, yeah. So I went in for five or six months. And one day he called me into his office and he said, would you be interested in coming in full time? And um, I had to think about it, and I mentioned it to my wife. And she said, well, it would be better than being away half the week, staying away overnight, you know, and driving all those miles and all that. At least I'd know where you were, sort of thing. So um, I did. I started, and I was the manager of the department store. The Well, it ended up as the toy department, the luggage department, and the sports department in that big department store in Newcastle. And uh, one day, one of the buyers from one of the other departments came down. He said, Sam, there's a new radio station opening in Newcastle called Metro Radio. And uh, they're having a sort of a get-together tomorrow night to tell people what's available, you know, for advertising and all this sort of thing. And there's free drinks and there's free food and all that. He fancy coming along. I said, yeah, yeah. So anyway, we, we went along and sat there and listened to all this bump that was they were going to be doing and all that. And then it was the um, sports editor's 
time to get up and speak. Charles Harrison, lovely, lovely man. And he got up and he said, oh, we're going to be covering all sports. We're going to do this and do that. And I thought, I wonder if they're going to be covering angling. I, and it annoys me when people say to me, angling isn't a sport. Yes, it is a sport. So anyway, when they'd finished all of that, um, it, somebody said, right, if you want, you'd like to call, come down and mingle and talk. And I made straight for Charles Harrison. I said, right, you said that you're going to cover all sports. He said, yes. I said, what about fishing, angling? Oh, um, is that big in the northeast? I said, well, there's nowhere bigger. And more sea anglers and freshwater anglers in the northeast than any other part of this country. Hmm. He said, well, we start broadcasting on Saturday. Would you be able to do an interview with me? Well, Wednesday, we were off. The shop was closed on a Wednesday. I said, well, Wednesday is the only day I could do it. All right, we'll bring you your rod and reel and all that. We'll go down to time out. So we went down. It was a howling gale, and he was trying to do this interview with me. And uh, all you could hear in the microphones was the wind howling through. So we went and sat in the car, and we did a 10-minute piece, and they used it that Saturday in the sports program. And he phoned me on the Monday morning, and he said, would you be interested in doing it every week? I said, yes. So um, I ended up with three programs a week uh, on angling on Metro Radio. Um, James Whale, uh, Jazz Squire, they were two of the DJs. I think James Whale's still around. I think he's still in TV as well. And um, one embarrassing moment was I used to phone the Coast Guard. I used to do uh, an early show on a Saturday morning, 7 o'clock. I used to do, to do it from home on the telephone. And I used to phone the Coast Guard, first of all, find out what sea conditions were like and that sort of thing. Then go on air and say, right, it's rough or it's calm or whatever, you know. And one morning I went on and this guy answered and said, is the coast clear this morning? And he said, pardon? I said, uh, uh, I don't think that's the Coast Guard. He said, what do you mean? And he sounded very irate. And I thought afterwards, oh, God, I, don't, I hope he didn't go and fill his wife in after I said, is the coast clear this morning? <laughs> that was a little bit embarrassing. Yeah, but... Uh, are you filling her in? Yeah, exactly. So uh, I never made that mistake again. I always made sure I checked the number before I actually called them, you know. But uh, no, yeah, it's... it's, yeah. it's, it's I just enjoy what I do. Still broadcasting. Um, so, what uh, about other other sort of awkward or worst or embarrassing moments in uh, in angling and, and broadcasting, particularly on the angling side? Well, it wasn't embarrassing for me, but it was for my uh, the DJ. I used to be on on a Saturday afternoon with a guy called Giles Squire. Giles actually was ended up as the director of the company. He's living in Spain now, and. Um, when I went into reception, or if there were letters for me, the receptionist Margaret Ross said, oh, there's a letter here for you, Sam. Anyway, uh, I got this letter, and uh, when I read it, I thought, where the heck's this come from? It was from Australia. It was a guy in Australia, genuine, asking how he could breed maggots in the heat of Australia. I thought, well, I don't know. But anyway, I went on air, and uh, I told Giles live on air about this, and he says, read the letter. So I read the letter out live. And he said, how do you suppose he got your name in as quick as a flash? I said, well, all I can think is that he heard one of your programs in England and emigrated to Australia. And uh, <laughs> he, he didn't appreciate that at all. And then another no, no. most embarrassing one, I think, was possibly I went in, Margaret gave me the letters, and there were some details about a, an angling competition on the Ayrshire coast. And I went in, and the tech op was sort of separate from you. He's looking through the glass into the studio where you're sitting. You've got a red light in the middle of the, the table. 
and all the microphones and everything. Now, as long as that red light is on, it means the mics are large. So you have to keep talking. So anyway, I'm starting talking about this bit about what's happening off the, our coastline and starting about the competition. And then I saw the tech up go to the windows and draw the curtains, put all the lights out in his part. And then Giles Squire got up and walked out the studio and the lights in the studio went out. And all there was left was this red light in the middle of the table. And I'm trying to read from this uh, information through this red light. And I was talking for about 10 minutes, sitting there talking away because I was taught the red light's on, you keep talking. And I don't wear the headphones. Well, I do now. I learned the hard way. I didn't at the time. And suddenly I heard this hysterical laughter coming through the headphones which are lying on the table. I thought, the so-and-so's. I got up and walked out, and they're both having hysterics. I'd been sitting talking to myself for over 10 minutes. They'd taken control, put me off air, but they left the red light on, and I thought I was live and kept on talking. They thought it was a huge joke. I got him back, because when I went downstairs, I saw Margaret on reception, and I said, when Jazz comes down, just ask him what Sam was doing underneath the front of your car. I wasn't doing anything. But he called the AA and got them to check <laughs> Oh, we said some fun. Yeah, great. Yeah, happy days. What about your top angling moments then? Well, I've literally caught everything from a minute to a shark, but I think my most memorable fish would be a 75 pound sailfish I caught in Kenya, and I caught that on a salmon fly rod using a 20 pound braid and strain tippet. Took me 40 minutes. We got him into the boat, tagged him, and released him. And everybody in the boat was saying, if you kill it and take it ashore, it'll be a new Kenya record for that uh, tackle. No way. No, he went back. And when that fish was coming out of the water and tail walking, oh, your heart misses a beat. It's an amazing thing to see. Oh, you practically hear it snarling at you. But the first one I hit, he turned around and took off. And he took all the main line, the backing line and everything. And I've never, ever had short fingernails. I can't stand short fingernails. And without thinking, I stuck my fingers into the spool of the, the uh, reel. No, no, trout reel. And all I heard was chip, chip, chip. And when I looked, I had no fingernails left. <laughs> it took off. <laughs> I was not very pleased about that. But uh, now we got to, we got that one in, 75 pound. Beautiful fish, and I've got it all on film. I was working for a Finnish television company at the time, uh, going around the world. And um, that was one of the... Well, it was the most memorable fish, as I say, that I've ever caught, for my mind, anyway. It was that type of thing, and, and uh, freebies and tackle and trips, invites, that sort of thing, are all benefits of being in the broadcasting journalistic side of things. Well, of course it is. I mean, I still write for Saltwater Boat Angling magazine. I still write for Sea Angler. What I do in Sea Angler, um, they call it the last word, and it's always near the very back of the magazine. And it's actually... Funny, real stories that have ha really have happened over the years. They're not made up. Every single one of those stories is absolutely true. And some of them are, are really hilarious. And um, so I still do that. And up until fairly recently, for nearly 40 years, I had a weekly column in the Newcastle Chronicle, which is a, a newspaper here in the northeast of England. And for nearly 40 years, I was with BBC Radio Newcastle, presenting an angling program for them. And uh, now we've got a two-hour program every Saturday morning, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. on CVFM Radio, which is based in uh, Middlesbrough. It's a community radio station. In fact, when we first started broadcasting, it was for an hour. 
And uh, a few weeks later, I was talking to the boss, and he said, you know, when you first asked me about an angling programme, he says, I thought to myself, how the heck is he going to sit and talk about fishing for an hour? And now it's a two-hour, and I've got people on from England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales every week with uh, reports, what's happening. I've had people on from Namibia, from Germany, from France, the Faroes, from America, uh, from oh, quite a lot of countries, uh, Florida, yeah. And um, we seem to have quite a lot of listeners. People seem to enjoy it. And as far as I know, there's only one other radio station that broadcasts fishing, but apparently it's very early on a Sunday morning, and it's mainly freshwater-based. So how has the programme evolved then? When did you first start broadcasting? And you said about going in to do those uh, those one-hour slots. When would that be? With CVFM, that would be about two and a half years ago. Nearly three years ago. The ones when you were at the oh, when I when I originally started. Right at the very start. Yeah. Oh, nearly fifty years ago. Yeah, right. ne- nearly fifty years ago, and I've had some very, very, very well-known people on my program because you'd be amazed how many people go fishing that are in theatre, in acting, in politics, um, just about everything. Sportsmen, and uh, I've been lucky. I've, I've met a lot, a lot of these people. And uh, they've all agreed. Nobody's ever refused to come onto the program. I've had Nigel Farage on the program. Uh, he's been on two or three times, Nigel. Ian Heaps, that's the man with the golden grin, of course. Um, oh, yes. Um, oh, I just can't remember. There's so many of them. Phil Williams from Lancashire, he's been on. <laughs> Who's that? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's uh, to me, it's, it's, it is the most popular sport in England, if not the world, and it generates a lot of interest. One thing uh, that, I, that does upset me is the, the, the amount of youngsters that aren't coming into fishing. Years ago, we used to have virtually every club had its own junior section. Very few of them have now, and that is all, well, it's the do-gooders to blame. All these people, oh, you can't do this and you can't do that. And the club members, the committees themselves, are not prepared to take on all this, this paraphernalia that you have to have. You have to have these um, uh, things, you know. I can't remember what they call them now. It used to be called CRBs. Yeah, it's, the, it's the police. Yeah. CRB, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's what they used to be called. I think we've got a different name now. Yeah. But, uh, Criminal records. Yeah. yeah. But when the, when the clubs see what's involved, that you have to do this, and the insurance and all that. Yeah, okay, fair enough, insurance, that's that's good. But uh, they're, they're just not prepared to take the risk of having the kids in, so it's unfortunate we don't have the youngsters coming into angling that we had. Get rid of these iPads, tablets, and rubbish like that. Uh, then, yeah. you know, get them into fishing, teach them conservation, get them fresh air and all that sort of thing, you know. And it's just so sad that there aren't any youngsters there coming up after us. It's not only fishing, though. It's everything, isn't it? Every every sort of outdoor activity. Kids just want to be hermits and grunt at each other and not actually communicate properly and sit in the room just playing games. Yeah. I mean, we used to go out and play and climb trees and go, you know, pinching apples from orchards and things like that. Uh, and just yep. football and everything. Now you never, ever see kids doing that. Although, mind, when you think about it, there's so many weirdos around. I'm not surprised in a lot of cases that you don't see the kids running around the streets now. But, but is it not the case that, that there was lots of weirdos about in our day, but because there was no social media and the news wasn't broadcast as much, you just didn't get to hear about it. As a proportion of the population, I can't see that there weren't weirdos about then, but 
I think people are just overplay it these days as well with the kids keeping them hidden indoors and putting the fear of God in them. Yes, yeah. Oh, I totally agree with you, Phil. Uh, there probably were weirdos in those days, the same as there are now, but as you say, it wasn't publicised to the, the amount of times that it is now. Plus, you didn't have things like Facebook, etc., where you get these characters going on and putting all sorts of things, trying to get kids to do things that they shouldn't be doing, and so on and so on. Mine, I think schools have a lot to blame. I've got, oh, I don't know, 150 DVDs on fishing, all disciplines of fishing, freshwater and sea. And uh, I used to be the chairman of the Northeast Marine Division of the Angling Trust until they stabbed us in the back, and um, but that's another story. And uh, we offered a number of times to go into schools. I've got my own overhead projector, I've got my own screen, all these videos, and uh, offered to go in. I've got half a dozen sets of shark jaws and this sort of thing. And the kids loved to see anything like that. Schools weren't interested in, in you coming in and talking to the kids. And I don't know why. One or two of the, the schools have got angling clubs, but it's predominantly fresh water. Yeah, so, yeah. 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 Well, it's, it's easier and safer, I think, for the kids. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but uh, no, uh, I, we approached a number of schools and they just weren't particularly interested. So what's the point? You know, there's no no point in bothering if that's their attitude, which, you know, but uh, no, I'm, I'll do. I'll help anybody when it comes to fishing. I just love what I do. Getting back onto the program now, how has the program itself evolved over the years? How has it changed from from what you started with to what you've got now? What's the the sort of progression? Well, initially, when we when we started with the program, it was just northeast based, and we only talked about the northeast freshwater and sea. And then one day I was sitting, and I thought, well. Why can't we not extend this? Because nobody else is doing it. So I did. I rang a, a number of friends of mine throughout the country, in Ireland, Scotland, places like that, and said, do you fancy? One or two said, oh, I couldn't do it. I couldn't sit in front of a microphone. And, um, yeah, I said that. Yeah, it, well, yes, you did. Yeah, but you can. Once you've done it a couple of times, that nervousness, whatever you want to call it, goes, and it just becomes normal, natural thing to do. So it progressed from there. Uh, and then I thought, right, well, I'm going to extend this worldwide. So as I said at the very beginning, there, I had people on from Namibia, from Germany, France, Faroe Islands, America, Ireland, and, you know, uh, talking about fishing in their countries. And um, it seems to have gone down well. People seem to enjoy it. And I have a guest on every, a different guest on every Saturday, uh, talking about various things, people from the tackle business, from the political side of things, uh, when it comes to angling and uh, just generally top well-known anglers. And people seem, as I said, to enjoy it, you know. Yeah, certainly catching on. It's just, just a pity it's not it's not something which we can pick up in other parts of the country. We've got to wait for it to come onto the, uh, onto the internet, and that's just just an aside. Yeah. You see, with one of, one of the big problems, it's a community radio station. Community radio station, the rules are that they're allowed to broadcast on FM, but it's only a radius of the station of about eight or nine miles. Beyond that, yeah. you can't. It's got to be on the internet. So the radio right. station that I'm on, it's on the internet. It's every Saturday morning, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m., live. 
It's then repeated on the Tuesday lunchtime on CVFM between 12 noon and 2 p.m. And it's also put on the Mixed Cloud from the Monday on Edwards uh, onwards. So yeah. anybody yep. coming on from a company, if they want to give a website, a telephone number, anybody that didn't get it on the live show can get it from the Mixed Cloud onwards because it's on yep. there for quite yeah. some time, you know. Right, looking at people that you've interviewed, now you must have had some people who've... Uh We've been amusing. Some people have had more information, less information. You've had to tease info from some. Have there been any awkward moments? It's got. They're not all all the same. You must have had some that stick in your mind for good or bad reasons. Oh, 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 oh yes, I went to do an outside broadcast. This is when I was with the BBC. Went to do an outside broadcast with a guy at a trout fishery, and um, we were okay sitting in his office talking. And then he said, "Right, we'll go." Out by the water side, we went out by the water side and asked the question, all I got from him was yes, no, yes, no. Couldn't get anything else out of him. It just clamped up. And I thought, oh, it's like drawing teeth when it's like that, Phil. It really is. Yeah. It's hard work. Yep. And it's embarrassing for you trying to get that person to speak and no, you can't. It's worse still when you're live on air. I'm not going to name Absolutely. the guy. I am not going to yep. name this gentleman, but he's a very well-known person. He he's, owns a tackle shop. Um, as I said, I'm not going to mention him. I had this gentleman on my program just a few weeks ago. And again, out of, all I, I could get out of him was yes and no. Virtually nothing else. And I thought, oh, I can't do this for 10 minutes. So it was a very short interview. Unfortunately. What about the ones that you can't shut up? Oh, oh. well, there's a guy called Phil Williams. He's a bit like that. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> um, the biggest, well, the longest interview I ever did, and fortunately it was recorded, it was when I was with Metro Radio, and um, this gentleman became very well known. He's no longer with us. He was a singer. His name was Frankie Vaughan. A lovely oh, yeah. man. I got to know Frankie quite well. And um, the very first time we did an interview with him, it was recorded. I said, how did he get into fishing, Frankie? It took him 38 minutes. He never took a breath. 38 minutes. I created a record for the longest interviews on Metro Radio. <laughs> I got his life story in 38 minutes. What a lovely, lovely, lovely man. And then that big friend of have mine. Ever, have you ever spoken to Mike Millman, by the way? Sorry, oh, yeah. Have you ever spoken? Yes. I'm going to say it because I, I interviewed Mike Millman for a, an incident like this, you know, for a podcast. Mm. And uh, he took three hours and 19 minutes to get it uh, to get it over. So yeah. I just wondered if you'd contact, contact him at any stage. Oh, yeah, I know Mike well. I've known Mike for many, many years. He invented the Flexalite lure, if you remember that. It was a fish. I do remember that. Yeah, it was a fish-shaped lure painted red with a bit of flectolite on either side. Now, um, I had a tackle shop in Wall's End at the time, and I used to sell these. And I went up to the Orkneys, and we were fishing the Pentland Firth, and I had one of these things on. Now, at each end, there was a hole with a split ring through, but it was just lead. Anyway, I hit this halibut. Uh, I mean, we saw the blooming thing on the surface of the water. I managed to get it up, you know. And just before we're going to put the gaffs into it, the treble hook that was attached to it, it pulled out of the lead. And uh, when I got back, I, I phoned uh, Mike and told him, he said, impossible. I said, Mike, I've got 10 witnesses that saw it. No, impossible. And he clashed the phone down. So the following year, there was a big show. I don't know if you remember when they used to have the big 
go fishing shows in Birmingham. Yeah. And yeah. and uh, anyway, we went down there, and I'm trying to think it was Intrepid, wasn't it? Intrepid Morris, K.P. Morris, Intrepid, that he was with at the time as an advisor. And uh, we started on each other, and we ended up were bawling and shouting at each other. And the MD came along and says, for God's sake, Mike, Sam, will you go behind the boards and talk? We went behind the board, but it was pegboard, so people could still hear us arguing anyway. And he said, right, I'm going down the car, I'm going to get one out the car, and I'm going to hang it from the roof on a piece of rope, and I'm going to hang on to it. I said, well, hang on, I'll go down to my car, because I want to get a camera to show somebody killing themselves, you see. So we nearly came to blows over that. So he said, I'll, I'll give you one back, I'll give you another one. So the following year, I went down to Plymouth, which I used to go down quite regularly, and uh, Mike was there taking photographs of all the boats coming in with the fish. I said, what about that fleck of light lure, Mike? Oh, I've got one in the car, I'll go and get it. He went to the car and never came back. I thought, so-and-so. So the following year, I went down there, was Mike. So he says, oh, it's in the car, I'll go and get one. I said, yeah, well, I'll come with you. So we went up to the car and I got one. He gave me another half a dozen as well. So I, I got my one Fleckley Light lure back plus a half a dozen. Yeah, no, he's, he's a great guy, Mike. I've known Mike for many years. Yeah, he was on the programme just a few weeks ago. And as you say, right. he's hard to shut up. A little bit like me. He is. He is. <laughs> How is the current programme going now? Bring us up to date with the current programme and what you you got planned for the future. Well, I'm just hoping that things continue the way they are, Phil, because we've got a good team of people there. We've got reporters from all over the country, as I said, Ireland, and um, very knowledgeable anglers. We have one lady, uh, that's Anne Woodcock. She's very well known in the salmon and sea trout world. She's the marketing director of a company called Fishpal. So if you want to do salmon fishing anywhere, you phone fish pile and they arrange your gilly for you, your boat for you, your rod as well if you want, uh, on a particular river in Ireland, England, Scotland, Wales, they can arrange all of that for you. So she's quite an asset to the programme. And then everyone else that comes on, as I said, they're giving reports about what's happening here, there and oh, excuse me, uh, everywhere. So it's uh, all systems going, it's likely to carry on going for a while? Oh, I hope so, as long as I'm able to do it anyway. Um, I mean, the boss is quite happy. He thinks it's great. He gets up early on a Saturday morning just to listen to the programme. And he doesn't fish. <laughs> he sets his alarm so he can hear the programme. Yeah, honestly. Uh, no, I do other programmes as well as the angling one. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, I appreciate that with the country music. Yeah, well, on a, well, when I was at Metro Radio, not Metro Radio, I beg your pardon, Radio Newcastle, BBC, I used to do an angling program and um, a country music program. I still do the country music program. It goes out on a Sunday afternoon live, three to five. And I have guests on again from all over the world, literally. Mainly Americans. The Americans love to come on the radio and talk about themselves, about their, you know, about their career and what they do and all that. And then on a Thursday afternoon, I call that program, what I, what I call it, proper music. It's big bounce, swig, it's jazz, it's Benny Goodman, Artie Shaw, Glenn Miller, that kind of thing, you know, the proper music, I call it. And uh, again, I just enjoy doing it. Uh, it's it's just a passion of mine. It, it keeps me occupied at my age. One other thing I'd like, like to chuck in here, just to mention to you, give, give us that little story about being made the, uh, the deputy of Dodge City. <laughs> That's true. Well, I was given the MBE in uh, 2015 for services to sea angling. I'm proud to be the first 
and as far as I know, the only sea angler in this country with an MBE. The others with OBs and MBEs, they're all freshwater anglers. Of course, it was all in all the papers and the newspapers and the radio and everything up here in the northeast of England. And uh, I had an American on the program, an American country singer called Marsh, Marshall Allen Bailey. Well, I thought Marshall was his first name. Anyway, we got him on the yep. program, did a bit of an interview, played some of his tracks and everything. And towards the end, he said, oh, by the way, you were done and done about your queen this year, weren't you? I said, yes. He said, I'm going to do you another one. He says, raise your right hand and repeat after me. So I thought, uh, go on then. So anyway, he could see me, as he would have been Skype. So I thought, well, I better do it. So I did. Raised my right hand. I repeated after what to him what he was saying. And at the very end, he said, I've just appointed you as Deputy Marshal of Dodge City, Kansas. And I thought, wow. And I've got the diploma. I've got the badge. Everything. Yeah, honestly, I am the Deputy Marshal of Dodge City in Kansas. So behave yourself or else. What does that entitle you to do? Arrest people if they're doing something they shouldn't do in Dodge City. It doesn't mean anything <laughs> here, but in Dodge City, if somebody does anything they shouldn't, I can arrest them. Honestly, yeah, yes, it's just uh, no, it's, it's just another one of those things. You know, I was shocked when he said, you know, you yeah, know, pleasantly so. Oh yeah, very much so. I mean, I go to country and western clubs, and there's there's a few of us, you know, a few of us go, and we dress. Cowboy style, Western style, because we love that kind of music, and I played on the radio, as I said. And uh, oh, I always wear my badge with pride, and people know I'm oh, deputy yeah. marshal, so they behave themselves. <laughs> yeah, the real thing, no, no any fakes. Yes, <laughs> no, it's just I just enjoy what I do, Phil. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm no spring chicken. I'm 85 years of age. I'm 85 years of age. Yeah. Well, long may it continue. Thank you. Well, long may you stay with the programme. You know, you're, you're an asset to the programme. <laughs> well, all of the presenters that we've got on the programme, they all know what they're talking about and they're all good at what they do. At first, one or two of them were very nervous because they'd never, ever done it. In fact, the only two yeah, that had too. ever... Yeah, the only two that had ever done it on a regular basis was uh, Dave Hall. He's our course angling expert. And uh, Don Coe, he's the manager of all of the reservoirs in the uh, east, northeast of England. And they used yeah. to be part of the angling program that we did on Radio Newcastle. So there was Don, there was right. uh, Dave and myself. We were the three regular presenters for many, many years. Um, but we got a manager who didn't like fishing, so he decided to drop the program. And that was possibly where I got my idea from. It was, you know, it was a couple of years that we didn't have any... And I thought, well, why not? You know, I've got the facilities here. I broadcast from home. I don't have to go all the way down to Middlesbrough to the radio station. It's 30 mile away. And because of my eyesight, I don't drive anymore. That's one of the difficulties, not being able to see properly. I mean, I was out fishing with Nigel Farage, and uh, it took me nearly 40 minutes to put that nylon through the eye of the hook. I was determined I was going to do it. Everybody was saying, come on, we'll do it for you, you know. And, oh, no, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. It took me 40 minutes, but I did it in the finish. Yeah, and then the first bloomin' dropped down, I lost the, lost the thing. So I start <laughs> all over. <laughs> yeah, no, there's well. no, some great people in fishing, and I'm fortunate yeah. that I yeah. know a heck of a lot of them, you know. Yeah, well, as I say, long may it continue. Yeah, thanks, Phil.